Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Josh Baker to our show. Dr. Baker is the Vice President of Instruction for Pikes Peak Community College in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hi, Josh. So happy to have you on our show today. Hey, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate the invite. This is uh, very cool, very fun. appreciate it. So can you tell me about Pikes Peak Community College and why students select your institution? Pikes Peak is a great college. Uh, We have just shy of 20,000 students. Uh, There's approximately 750,000 individuals living in our service area. And actually, that's just in the Colorado Springs area and the closely connected communities. We probably have nearly a million when we combine a little bit more of the rural areas that we touch. And and we just do a great job serving these these areas. We have a great economy. We have uh, an increasing number of high school students bucking the national trend. And we have robust offerings. But when I hear that question, what I really think about, though, most of our students you know, we're not competing with another college. You know, we're competing against the couch. So we have a college an hour to the south and about an hour to the north. We have universities local, and we're, you know, we sometimes compete with the same students, but not very often. But we're just trying to give them that motivation. So our real drive is just simply to be the best that we can. And every day that, that we show up, you know, we're not doing it again to steal some enrollments from another community college. Uh, not very often proprietary. It's just simply do the absolute best we can to create pathways for, for our students, uh, for our community, and just to make it as so everybody in our community wants to be here. They know this is a place to go where they can advance uh, themselves personally and professionally. Yeah, looking at your webpage, you have like three campuses, learning centers. It's as you said, twenty thousand students. So um, I don't want to ask what what's the most popular programs, but what what's the majority of your students coming for? to Pikes Peak Community College? Well, of course, we have a a strong transfer program, but nursing, no, no surprise. A very large nursing program, very significant focus on simulation. And many of our students are either in the nursing pipeline or they are preparing to transfer somewhere else uh, to go to nursing. So that that is probably the biggest program for us. I see, I see. Uh, Well, what's new at the college for, let's say, 2021-2022? Well, what's interesting is that we're trying to focus on not new. We're, you know, it's not in my nature. You know, my nature and the, the nature of our president is innovate, new programs, et cetera. And, and in pandemic, we've just said, can we pump the brakes a little bit? You know, just the faculty and staff are exhausted. And, and how do we handle that? Despite that, of course, we have some new things. Uh, not surprising, we have the high flex and we have uh, remote live. As we go in the next fall, we're going to continue to offer those and we're going to see what students vote for, see what programs or what kind of um, an experience they want to have. And those may remain with us. One of the emphasis that we're doing is probably a two or three year project is an emphasis on our non-credit and creating more non-credit opportunities, especially in, you know, some uh, economic downturn in some areas, although uh, the economy is, seems to be quite active here, uh, but making sure that people have non-credit options that really align uh, cleanly with our four credit options. has been a really significant emphasis and 
we've made big progress. And I think in another year, we'll really feel like we're at the point of being a model of how this should be run. Another thing that we are, we'll be in the first year of next fall is our instructional equity plan. For the past five years, you know, we've had the equity project, high impact practices, uh, several kind of, if you will, disparate, not desperate, but disparate efforts to close the equity gap. And we're, we just want to bring those together in a little more of a, a systematic approach and bring in some other things to help us a little more with uh, faculty recruitment and instructor or adjunct recruitment. We want to create a faculty data committee probably next January. And it would really look at this equity gap and really with the intention of in five years, we don't want equity gaps. We want to eliminate that. We know that that is a huge undertaking, but we want to do absolutely everything we can uh, to make that happen. So we'll be in the first year of that come next fall. And it's been a full year of, of preparing that plan. And, and I'm really excited to see where that takes us. You know, you mentioned that you, you survey your students as far as what they think uh, pro, what new programs you should look at. Is that correct? Is that what you said? Well, we do do some of that. Yeah, we, uh, we, we try to keep our, we meet with students, you know, once a semester and we hear ideas at that point. Uh, and, and we keep our, our eyes and ears open on the community and, uh, you know, just try to get a sense of what our different constituent groups are interested in program wise. I see. And so do you think, uh, is the future looking at more certificates and micro-credentials and then associates, or I'm just trying to get a feel for what's happening in all the different states? Oh, you know, that's really difficult to tell. We know that we want that, and we know there is a percentage of our population that wants that. I don't know that that's broad-based, uh, but I know, though, that if we're talking about uh, an adult who's transitioning from military or corrections or you know, people in transition, they may not have two years or if they're they're coming from an industry and need a new a new line of work because their work has been eliminated. We know that they really want something short term and ideally something that after, you know, a semester could lead to something else. Right. Put them on a, a pathway. Yeah. OK. I also noticed on your Web page that yeah, 26 percent of your students are connected to the military. Can you talk about how you, your college supports this unique student population? Right. This is a big deal for us. You know, we have an office we call military and, and veterans programs. And it's nice as it does create kind of this belonging, right? That, you know, we have a home base for you. And any point through your Pikes Peak experience, if you hit a barrier, those are your people. Go talk to your people, let them coach you through it, let them help break down barriers, and they do. Uh, they've been tremendously helpful. Uh, we've always had a good PLA program, at least for several years. But two years ago, we decided that if we really wanted to be the best college for uh, transitioning military individuals, that they need to be able to walk in the door, actually even go on the web, enter their information, and automatically see what degrees and certificates they are close to and see what they have left. Uh, I'd say we're about 75% done with this project. The pandemic definitely slowed us down. And we have a very difficult 25% lift and it's probably the backside of the technology. And so we have, hope to have this completed within the year. And I just, I think this is gonna be amazing for, for our vets and really make it easy for them. We also just got uh, identified with Operation Next 
This is a group. They will provide um, training, online training in some skilled uh, areas and then come to us for the hands on. And so they will come in with knowledge. They'll get to get to work and then head right out for a job, which lines us up for somewhere we would really like to go is a transition school for military that, you know, from across the country, they're coming here with what they got and they're going to go anywhere between, you know, four, six, eight weeks, maybe a semester and, and walk out ready to go to work. As you come from the military, sometimes you have a small amount of gap of information you'll need to be successful uh, outside of military with those same skills. So we're really hoping to make that move into that area and provide a really neat service for those vets. I think it's great. I, I'm a vet myself. And of course that was years ago when I came out and, and when you come out after serving X amount of years and, and somebody says, well, that's great, but you don't get any college credit. It's just like, I don't understand. And so now today I'm really watching people kind of promote that, but it sounds like uh, you guys are a little bit ahead of the curve on this for trying to really support the, the, the veterans and the transitioning into different type of pathways. Yeah, we feel pretty good about it. And I think that last piece that's going to really close the gap is a shorter term training that doesn't just give them recognize their credits, but it's, it's just completion. It's just here you go quick, hard, go to work. Yeah. My, my cousin came out, he went to a school in Texas for four to six weeks, the same thing, and then got a great career. You can't take a time out when you got a couple of kids at home just to go back to school, right? You got to, you got to have a nice, short, clean, articulated pathway. Yeah. And I should probably mention to you, my son's out at Yasafa right now. So he's out at the Air Force Academy. He graduates actually in 30 days. And so we, my wife and I love Colorado Springs. And so I thought, wouldn't that be great for anybody, you know, as a vet coming in to, to, to be able to be in that, to that, that community? Because we think that's a wonder. Of course, he may not think the same thing being at the academy, but boy, we sure love Colorado Springs. So I think that's great what you're doing for the vets. I know there's Peterson Air Force Base there. Is there anything else around there that you guys, is it more regional or how, do, how are you doing that? Well, we have five bases in town and I'm only going to come up with three in the moment. You got Peterson, you got Fort Carson, very large army installation. We actually sit on property formerly owned by them that they gave to us, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And uh, Yusuf accounts as one. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the names of the other that, two, but that's some, okay. Some really cool places here. Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I knew there were some around. I just didn't know. I was, I just wanted to, I was excited to hear about your, about what you're doing with the vet. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. So I'm going to change a little bit um, and ask you a different topic. Can you, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you went from a faculty program manager slash coach at Highline College in Washington to VP of instruction for a 20,000 student community college? It, it's, it's been an interesting process and there's all kinds of uh, stories I could tell you on this, but I'd, I'd start by sharing that uh, public a few days ago, I'm, I'll also be moving on to West Virginia now. I'll be the president of Mount West Community and Technical College. Congratulations. Uh, really thrilled about that. And it's a, a two-year college, of course, that's recently split from Marshall University and I think has some interesting work ahead of us. Well, so, good. yeah. That's the, end re that's the end result on your pathway. How about the beginning? Yeah. yeah I, I remember, boy, 15 years ago, you know, spending hours and hours and hours talking with my wife about you know, I, I'm intrigued by the administrative side. I love the teaching. I love the one-on-one. -on -one. 
you know, but I was looking at the rest of the college. I was starting to get involved in grants and there were just pieces that spoke to me in that, you know, I still have an entrepreneurial heart. So I'm an educator, entrepreneur, and also this, this grant work was exposing me to the idea that we have uh, communities, we have pockets of individuals in our community that we can reach out to and, and create um, focused programs and pathways for, and we can change uh, not just individuals' lives, but groups of people. We can create opportunities. And, and it's all, all of this is coming together. I'd say 15 years ago, I'd say, you know what? I'm kind of thinking that president looks kind of cool. It's a long ways off. But there's a lot of interesting jobs in between. I even did an internship with the foundation and with political advocacy. And, and I just liked all of it. And so I just started working down this path. And, you know, I don't know what happened in between the last 15 years, but, but here I am. One thing I'd want to point out in the beginning at that point is, is my wife and I together made this commitment that, you know, we're all in. And, you know, this meant when I went and did the PhD at Oregon State, uh, there's going to be no social life for a few years. And, uh, and it was a really serious commitment. We've moved across the country, which I think was a really important part of the path is we went to Indiana, we went back to Seattle, now to Colorado, now to West Virginia. And uh, I don't think we have any regrets about that. It's, it's been a really fun experience. And, and that was, um, I don't know, that was a really important part of, of, of us having these opportunities. And, and I would not have enjoyed this process nor been successful at it if my wife in the beginning had not been 100% in. It was definitely a, a commitment together. I'd say that a couple of lessons I learned, um, innovating in an academic culture is an art. And it's, it's challenging, it takes patience, it takes dogged determination, but there is a process and you have to have a philosophy of the way that you do that. And, and I, I think that's something that I picked up from Highline in my, uh, in my early years, a great example, great model for me. And it has served me well over and over and over. The other thing I just throw in is that Finding a, a fit is important finding the right school, not just a place where you can get a job, but where you can really be yourself, be authentic and enjoy that role and who you really are. And, and for me, that's, that's just a must. And I've, I've experienced it both ways and being authentic and being in the right place is just the right way to go. Boy, do I agree with you on that. I, yes, yes. Uh, you have to have a fit with the, with the college or the university. That's for darn sure. You could be really great at your job, but if you don't, if you're not the match with their mission, it, it doesn't go well. That's um, true. Very, very true. Um, so how are you doing right now? I mean, uh, you know, 2021 is way different than 2019. So it sounds like you got some exciting things uh, happening for you moving on to a new position, but how are you doing right now as the VP? So I feel good. This is kind of in my nature. You know, I, I can kind of find the calm in the chaos. Uh, I almost enjoy it, I think. Of course, uh, trying to buy a house right now, you know, being uh, across the country is a bit challenging, but outside of that, I felt really fine through the pandemic. And there's a couple of, you know, key asterisks on this. One is my three kids, one's a senior and the youngest being in fifth grade. Uh, my wife has been available. And so that has been a tremendous relief is that she's been so involved in that. Not that I, 
not that I'm not involved there and I'm not, you know, putting in some extra time, but that, that's a real privilege that many, many, many do not have that, um, that going for them. And it certainly has uh, taught me all kinds of empathy. And I think that um, many of our faculty and staff have developed this empathy during this time. And so as I'm really feeling good about things, I got to step back and say, okay, now don't forget, people are experiencing every kinds of chaos and stress. And they process that in different ways. And I need to be more and more mindful uh, and really focused on the wellness of my people and my team and I think it's been good for me to have those reminders. And, uh, and, and I just, I think that's always going forward. I seem to be more and more mindful of not everyone processes this experience the same way I do. And, and to be a, a good leader, I need to really appreciate that. You know, you gave a couple of examples on uh, leadership. If, if I was just moving out of a faculty position, getting ready to step in, to an, to an academic leader position, what would be the best advice you can give them? Uh, interesting. I, I've recently been thinking about this a little bit. New administrators are frequently accused of not switching hats and there's still too much of a faculty mindset. Some of that I, I actually, I think is really good. And you have to find this balance of representing the, the group that you lead and representing those that you work for and, and really helping connect those two. It shouldn't be one or the other. And I remember an interview question from years ago, do you see yourself as more as a representative of the faculty or, you know, right? It's, it's both. And that's your job is to, my job is to move the college forward. It's not to uh, lobby people's concerns and complaints, but to identify those and work through those and, and help us find the solution. So I think that that's the advice is, you know, be prepared to wrestle with that and, uh, and, and accept that challenge of, of being both an advocate for your people, but also focusing on the bigger mission. And that's what it's about, you know, as you're hearing different sides and opportunities, your guide on this should be, how does this impact students? And yeah. stay focused on that North Star and let that be your guide as you are navigating uh, those dynamics. That's, that's great advice. I, I know for me, when I stepped out of that role into a dean or even to an associate dean position, it was, you're thinking too much like faculty. And it's like, I'm looking at, I'm lo just looking at the information, but I, I can see that if, you, if you've been faculty for 15 years, it's, it's hard to kind of switch those hats. That's really... That's really a great suggestion. Um, I see that you are a presidential fellow with the Aspen Institute College Excellent Program. Uh, can you share with our listeners the experience that you had with this 10-month leadership program for future community college presidents? And, and also, may I add, did that help you with, the, with, with your new position? Yeah, this is a really fun topic. Aspen's been a great experience. Uh, they select a cohort of, I, I think it's 40 per cohort, and they select the individuals that have demonstrated uh, the experience or the potential to lead transformational change is how they define this. You have three sessions over the year, three face-to-face. -face. It's in Stanford, then in Virginia, and then uh, in Aspen, Colorado, which I missed because of the pandemic, and my family and I went there for a trip that week, so uh, it was best vacation ever. So anyways, we, that was our experience. Really quality though. It's, 
uh, their focus is not on getting the job, which is probably what a lot of us assume is it's here's how you make that step. Well, that you're on your own, at least partially for that. It's how do you be great at that job? And a couple of the key takeaways in the presidential role, be presidential. Don't be a vice president on steroids is the, the common uh, saying. And it's, it's focused on how do you increase student success? And, and this is one I really love. It may be a little bit different to me is how do you identify and solve community challenges? And I knew inside I've always thought that way, but they really pointed out if you're going to be a great college president, that's why you're here. It's not to get a title. It's, it's to be great at that. Uh, you've, you have to engage on those community challenges and be a partner in solutions. And so certainly um, having this experience has been helpful to me, but I'm really thinking it's gonna be more helpful in what I'm about to experience over the next uh, few years. And uh, great experience, incredibly grateful to have been selected and have that opportunity. So when you moved to all three of those different areas, you were talking about the last one, of course, you go to, back to Aspen. Is that, is that a, how you said, is that a week long? Yeah, it was like a three to five day. Yeah, okay. I think it was maybe three, four or five days somewhere in that time frame. Okay. And you're in a cohort. And then do you, as the cohort, do you guys correspond back and forth throughout the year as a, as, as the group with, with other members or are you in a classroom and you, and you have communication? Well, yeah, so the, for those three sessions, we're very much face to face. And then you know, there's ongoing cohort interactions uh, and we, we, you know, message and chat and whatnot. And of course, you kind of find your group that you message more frequently of the 40. One of the things I've really enjoyed is Aspen has started to do, uh, it might be a monthly session. It's for alumni where we are able to get on a session, hear from an expert in the field and then break out into rooms and chat. Uh, this has been so helpful, especially during the pandemic, is it's almost real time expert opinion and it's just like a refocus, right? Of you might get caught, you might get stuck kind of day to day and you know, let's get back together and think leadership now. And, and, and I walk away so often, not only recharge, but have some very specific strategies I can go carry out. It's maybe been the most valuable part of the experience actually. So, so what was the most fun? What was, what was the best part of the program? And I hate to put you on a spot, but it really got my interest peaked here. Uh, you know, there's a part of me, you know, that, that is, I guess if you're saying just fun, we played foosball after, you know, in Virginia, right? That was a lot of fun. Okay. But I, but I also, though, I, I just go to the conversations that you actually have one-on-one, one-on-two, small group after the meetings. And it might be in the hall. It might be in the lobby. It might be walking, you know, and, and sometimes we're talking about individuals, professional challenges, Sometimes you're picking uh, their brains on things. And I, some of them I really enjoyed were on the diversity, equity, inclusion topics. And to, to be in uh, with some people I felt very safe with and to really talk through what does this mean? DEI for you know me as a, a 42-year-old white guy seeking a presidency, how does this impact me and my leadership and, and, and how I be at my best? That was invaluable. That was really great stuff. Yeah, maybe I should have said enjoyable instead of fun. <laughs> but the foosball sounds fun too, though, so that's okay. It was fun. Um, 
how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things as an academic leader? Yeah, I, I probably read a, a few books a year, maybe listen to uh, audio on a couple more. Uh, most of them are on a bike in the gym, you know, just two birds, one stone there. Um, I've, I really enjoy conferences and you do have to kind of pick and choose, right? Some of them are not amazing, but, you know, one great idea from a conference and you got your money's worth. It, it really can pay off. Also, the networking. You know, I might make a network, a, a contact or two that we can stay in touch on some key topics. I also serve on the, the board for the National Council of Instructional Administrators. That's been a particularly valuable experience, similar to Aspen, in that these, these board individuals that, you know, we get together for a week during the summer, but also meet throughout the year. And I've, I've been in exec meeting and texted people and said, how many chairs do you have in your dental hygiene program? You know, this has been a really remarkable way to stay current, to have access to experts in the field. And I, I just am firmly committed, if you are an academic leader, and I mean that from chair and above, you must commit to a professional development plan. You need to know what's current in developmental education, co-recs, et cetera. I just think it's, um, it's an essential. And I mentioned this earlier, but I think that many groups are now starting to do these virtual sessions where you might have an expert and then break into small groups. These look to be very successful. I've enjoyed those. And uh, some of them are more impactful than others, but I think it's one thing to add to that uh, arsenal of professional development opportunities. You know, since uh, you mentioned uh, you like to read, do you have a favorite book on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? Okay, here's my favorite. This is my hands down my favorite. There's a book called Influence, or Influencer, Influence, Influencer. It's the Influencer written by a handful of individuals. I read it maybe 10 years ago. I've reread it a few times and uh, looked through my highlights. Um, it's one that my wife and I continue to discuss, but influence is an art. And if we want to influence individuals or groups, we need to look at the science of how that works. And so in my role, that frequently looks like using the data story and that qualitative piece and combining those um, in the right methods of approach, you know, finding the, the most impactful behaviors. I think in higher ed, we have a mix of people who really understand how to be impactful with their strategic actions and a lot of activity that is simply spinning wheels. And I, there is so much value in just getting that laser focus and finding out what's going to have the biggest impact and, and how do you get a team to support that and move with you on that journey. So that one I've loved. Influencer is a big one. Good. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, or were there any surprises over these past six months that actually ended up on a positive note for you? Sure. Virtual meetings with our teams. I have 200 faculty spread out over three campuses plus. And I've always tried to be respectful of them with meetings and try not to schedule too much. And early in the pandemic, because of an Aspen session, I started to hold weekly virtual meetings. It was amazing. I just, hey, stop in. Everybody's experiencing chaos. People want to know things. Some people just want to see and hear people. And people would come. People would pay attention. Some people wouldn't come, and that was okay. Others would come and listen with half an ear as they did other work. All of it was great experience. And we have continued that in different scenarios. Uh, some of those I've cut down to once a month. We've done them with other groups. And I, I really think this is going to stick. 
I think this will be added to that list of things that we can do to communicate effectively. And some people who usually wouldn't see in meetings all of a sudden are regulars. And it's been a really neat dynamic. So I, this is something we're keeping. Virtual but, meetings. It's, it's, an, it's here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought because people complain about zoom overload and everything else, but, but I agree. Uh, it, it's interesting to keep seeing faces at meetings you used to not see before. Uh, and they actually have a good excuse for not attending. So it's just, sure. It's, yeah. That's, that's a good point. And I assume then that's something that you might be taking with you when you head out to uh, West Virginia. At least to a degree. And I got to tell you, I'm a big face-to-face person. It really kind of eats at me to focus on the virtual. And the benefit there is it is one campus. You know, we do have some other little locations so we can do virtual, but we can still rely on that face-to-face more. So we'll find that balance. Definitely, though, that virtual meeting is, will always be in the back pocket and available. So, Josh, here's, here's a off-the-side question, and this has to do about your future then at West Virginia. Why did you choose that school? Why are you heading out there? You know, an interesting thing that I've learned is about fit. And um, I was a finalist at five colleges. And as I went through the five, after I interviewed in West Virginia, I interviewed at two. And I thought, this is not the right opportunity. This is not the right place for me. It's not the right dynamic. I kept going back to where they are, what their steps forward are. And I'm a builder. And I think that that is where they are, um, is, is preparing to build. And so... I think they have the right team in place, the right people. And, and it just all says to me, let's get busy. Let's get to work. Right. And that's kind of the feeling I want for the right fit. So uh, that's all comes down to fit. <laughs> I, I would agree. I would agree. And I think you answered that question perfectly too, is, is uh, I, I didn't realize you were a finalist at five positions or at five colleges, but, but it sure, sure seems like you're heading to the place you really want to go. So Good for it was a real experience. I'll tell you that. That was, uh, you know, I might need to write a book about that. It's been a pretty eventful month. <laughs> um, I guess I have one more question. Uh, if you had any extra budget money right now for Pikes Peak Community College, how would you spend it? Before you took off, where would, and, and this money is not attached to anything, how would you spend that cash? Yeah, I need, I need about $40 million. And I, I want to do a facelift of our campus. Focusing first on the skilled trades area, there were two areas that I really wanted to get developed. And one was our medical and the second was our skilled trades. Skilled trades, a pandemic just hit us literally the wrong month. Uh, one month later, we would have got the vote through and got the money. We actually have some plans now. It's back on the table, but our skilled trades space is too small. We need a bigger space. Uh, we need more opportunities and there are, there are real opportunities for us. And again, This appeals to a particular student, and we need to treat that student right. And when they come on campus, they need to feel that this is their big time. This is their great experience they're going to go talk about. And right now, our facilities are not there for skilled trade students. And, you know, that's a pretty big investment, but that's where I'd go. And uh, I think that's going to pay dividends for us for, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so expensive to, to keep up with the industry and, and the trades, but I agree with you. It's, it's always neat when you walk in and somebody has 20 machining or, or, you know, welders or whatever. It's just always fun to kind of rocks me back on my heels when I see those big giant labs that you get to walk in on. Uh, it's, it's worth it. I came from a tech college and it just meant so much to the students to have those nice big clean spaces uh, with great equipment and 
And, uh, you know, they were going out for real careers. Yeah, it was a great investment to make. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being on our show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Dave. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.